recognize their face and I would check for um, their emotion. So then figure out their emotion with sentiment analysis on that. Um, and then it would put that up on a separate Twitch stream to stream live. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors, the podcast where I bring in fascinating people from my world, talk about life, data science, sports analytics, content creation, and much, much more. I'm your host, Ken G. If you haven't already, we'd greatly appreciate it if you gave us a rating and followed the show. It helps us to continue to bring in incredible guests. This episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors is powered by Z by HP. HP's high compute, workstation grade, line of products and solutions. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Will St. Hilaire. Will is a high school junior who's produced some incredible public-facing data science work. He's a self-taught coder who's using his skills to analyze Twitch and esports data. Will is best known for his awesome work collecting and analyzing data from the record-breaking Ludwig Subathon. In this interview, we dive deep into how Will taught himself how to program, how he finds ideas for these projects that he's doing, and how he's able to build very advanced projects for his young age. I hope you enjoy the episode. I know I enjoyed the conversation. Today on the Ken's Nearest Neighbors podcast, I have Will St. Hilarion. He has done some pretty incredible stuff as a high school student. He's built some incredible projects related to Twitch and esports. And I'm glad that he can come in and talk a little bit about those and about his learning journey within the kind of data and engineering space. So welcome, Will. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, you know, I'm I'm really excited about this. My our, our mutual connection, our mutual friend Nick Wan made this introduction. Obviously, Nick is pretty immersed in the in the Twitch space as well, and it's something I've always been fascinated about. I'm, I'm still not quite ready to to make the jump to start creating there, but the data around the space or the way that Twitch streamers use integrations there to me are really fascinating. So, I would you know generally like to start this interview off asking my normal question of how you first got interested in data and engineering, but also maybe how you first got interested in Twitch. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like I've always like loved like technology, all that stuff, like um, figuring out, like fixing it, just different things. Um, I was always like in school, like just if like something broke like a projector, they'd ask me to fix it. Um, <laughs> then like coding side of things I got into, I like messed around with it a little bit in like middle school. I had a coding class, which was pretty cool. Um, and that was fun, like calculators, all that. And uh, yeah, so then I went into uh, a little bit later, like end of freshman year, um, started messing with some stuff for uh esports for league of legends um our school has an esports team and was like broadcasting the games but like it was like terrible quality like no graphic overlays or anything so uh i made a few overlays for it that would use like ocr and screen reading to like get um data on that that's how like i kind of first became like familiar with python and all that stuff um and that's where I got my background in coding. It's mostly just self-taught stuff. Awesome. And so it's just kind of seeing a problem and identifying that you could use code to begin to create a solution. I mean, how, how do you 
just tackle that problem from the get-go? What What is the process yeah. there of saying like, yeah, I mean, OCR is not exactly the, the shallow end of the pool. No. Um, so reason I had to go with OCR just like, or just how I even like got into that was um, I didn't see an easier way to do it. And I was like, well, like I've seen like a few things like read text from a screen before. So I was like, that can't be that hard, right? Um, it, it was a little harder, but like with Python and most things, other people have done something similar to what you're doing. So as long as you like apply what's like somebody else has done with it, but to like your own certain thing, um, like a lot of people use OCR daily in Python. Like, so there's plenty of modules to just import and use that. But um, like using it then with League of Legends, you had to figure out how to get like a screenshot of League of Legends to figure out what to read. But like, it's mostly just a lot of little things that other people have done that you can just patch together to make work for what you need. And then customize I, it from there. I really like that general philosophy is that a lot of other people have really done the hard work. And I mean, th- something I would ask you is like, for example, within the OCR packages, how much of, of that, like under the hood, do you understand what's going on? None of it. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and to so me, something. there's something, there's something so powerful about that is that we can make these things useful to us. We can make data useful to us. We can make some of these other things useful to us without necessarily understanding what's going on under the hood. And I think, you know, from my perspective as a data scientist, if you want to make recommendations or you want to build systems on these things, yes, you probably should understand what's going on under the, under the hood just so you don't make an oversight. But with something that is purely application-based or purely function-based, a lot of the time you don't need to, and you also might not want to. I mean, the whole concept behind an API, um, an application programming interface, is that you reach out with a response, uh, with a request, and you get a response back. And you don't, and you shouldn't know what's going on on the other end of the API. That might be proprietary to someone. That might be a system that they built that they don't want you to have access to. And you're using some modules, some methods, in a sense, like an API to outsource the work that you want to have done or the other cool features. And to me, that is, again, just this incredible maybe epiphany that a lot of people have too late into their careers. They think they have to understand everything. Um, Did you ever have that desire to like say, Hey, learn it the other way around, like go through all these systems or it's like, hi, I just want to jump in. I want these things. I don't really care as much about the method. I had a little spot where I was like trying to figure out a few little things and a few modules. And I was like, that's just, it's just so much at once. It's kind of crazy. But like once you, once you start using it all um, more and more, and then you like start building your own stuff, you'll understand more how they work um, than just trying to dive right into it. Cause that's just way too much right away to understand, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting it, when you're, when you're trying to learn the basics of a language, right. Or you're trying to learn the high level overview that is almost more drinking from the fire hose than it is starting with something very concrete, just using someone else's modules or or trying to create something very specific. And I think that that conception is like, oh, you're using these advanced tools, it must be harder. That's not necessarily true. You're using these advanced tools and they're, they should be easy to use. Yeah. Learning the entirety of a programming language before you start one of those projects 
I would argue is, is more difficult or there's more overhead associated with that. Yeah. Um, also, I'd, I'd be interested to know what type of school you go to that has an esports team that is, has you programming in fifth grade. I definitely did not have those when I was, uh, when I was in high school or middle school. Um, is it just like, are you in like a uh, normal school? Is that what they're prep. doing? These? Okay. College prep school. Interesting. Yeah. Well, to any educators uh, who are out there listening to this podcast, if there are any, uh, highly recommend getting kids involved with technology, STEM, uh, particularly computer science earlier. To me, that I think that that, and we're seeing a, a product of that right now is that you've had access to some of these things. And um, to me, that is a huge factor in making learning fun and 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 pushing people to be creative like you're doing right now. So you you started with some of the League of Legends stuff related to that specific application. And then you started to kind of blend this over to Twitch. For, for everyone who isn't familiar, can you tell me a little bit about what Twitch is and, again, why you've had that affinity to it? Yeah, so Twitch is basically just live YouTube all the time. It's just like live TV, but it's on a website. Um, you can pay $5 a month to a streamer to like get a sub to them, or subscription to them. Um, and that's how they make their income, basically just ads sometimes and subscribing to the uh, creator and um i started watching it mostly for esports like back when that was the main thing on twitch and then it turned into just chatting where it's just people just literally talking um and that's how i kind of started watching ludwig was i first saw him on youtube and i was like oh he streams on twitch so i just tuned into a few streams and he's he's a pretty interesting guy to watch um <laughs> so I watched him for about like a year and uh, that's when he started like getting like pretty big. It was like pretty much like when I started watching, we started just slowly curving up. Um, and then a year happened and that's when his subathon happened with um, everything that I kind of got involved in. Awesome. And so can you tell me more about the subathon? If I remember yeah. correctly, essentially he had to stay streaming as long as a certain number of subs came in. Is that correct? Yeah. So the subathon is basically just a giant long marathon that, um, so he did it for, he left like the week before. So he was gone for a week he had like emergency surgery. He was just going to originally do like a 24 hour stream, which is just him on the camera for 24 hours. Um, he came back and he wasn't feeling well enough to do that. So he said he would just do a subathon thing. He would go like for like 48 hours tops. Um, he was really wrong. So a subathon basically is just um, each sub that you get to the um, channel, like adds 10 more, 20 more seconds to the stream. So like within like three days, I think it was already like at 60, 60 hours left on the clock. It was ridiculous. Um and that lasted for a whole month uh, where he just capped it and said that he was going to be done at a month pretty quickly. So it was kind of impressive that it lasted that long. And all throughout that, I was, um, me and three other guys were all writing down on a spreadsheet the uh, numbers of how much time was left on the clock, how many subs he currently had, and like his current category that he was streaming in, or, like what he was streaming, so like game wise, or like what he was even sponsored by. I believe we did too. 
That's awesome. And so how did you decide to start collecting that information? Yes, like three days in, um, I was just kind of, I was just kind of sitting there. I was like, I wonder like if there's like any sort of trend to like when this is going to actually end. Um, Cause that'd be kind of cool to see. So I just grafted a little bit in uh, Google sheets. Cause that was just the easiest thing I could get to. Um, and no, not really. There wasn't any sort of trend, but I then realized that since I have how much time he has on the clock, like total, how much time has been added, I can figure out how much he's been earning so that's $5 per sub, $5 per 10 seconds. So you can find out how much he's earning, which a lot of people are very interested in. So um, it turned into more of like a money tracking of the, the subathon and where all of the like money went from that. That's awesome. And I love your thought process associated with that. So it first started obviously is like, hey, can I predict this? A, oops, a lot of questions that we have they don't have clear answers. Like they answered, you know, for someone like me to, for example, to predict what's going to happen with an individual stock on a given day or something like that, a little bit of a crapshoot, unless I put a ton of effort into it. Um, but what you did find is that you were able to pivot that into something that people were really interested in. And I love that you focused on understanding this fairly public problem that was interesting to you. And then you took that next step of inevitably, inevitably sharing this information and making it useful to other people. I find so much that the questions or problems that we're individually facing that we want to understand better, odds are that someone else is going to have a similar question and just socializing that we might have a solution or we'd like to get to a solution is unbelievably powerful. One thing I would ask also is how did you get these other people, these two others to work on this with you? What was that process like? Yeah, so I believe, so I posted the like first, like really rough is just a graph on Reddit. And that for some reason got like 600, 700 up, upvotes. And like in the morning, um, all of his moderators when he was sleeping overnight would like talk basically over the video of him sleeping. And they found it on Reddit at one point apparently and were like really interested in it. And uh, when he woke up, they told him about it and uh, he checked it out, not on stream, I don't think yet. Uh, he just kind of checked it on his phone or something. Um, he really liked it. So then a uh, few people uh, who wanted to help out or just like, I don't know, get attention or something, um, uh, started asking for it. And I weeded out <laughs> quite a few people who were just literally just in it to try to get their name on it. Um, and like three guys, uh, basically the full month we just all every 30 minutes are writing down all of his stats that we could get and uh since there was no like i didn't have time to write like something in python to grab all this so we just kind of stuck doing it manually for however long it was gonna last <laughs> i mean it sounds it sounds fun to me man i mean well i mean well depending on how much free time you have <laughs> the first two weeks yeah no, I, I think that that is, that is so cool that you're able to, you know, access or, or build something within a community. That's something that I really stress, especially when people are trying to focus on landing jobs or, or establishing more of a career. A lot of people are looking for personal projects. And one of the best places to find good personal projects is, in, is within online communities. Online communities usually all have 
at least one problem associated with them, even if it's just analyzing the online community itself. I mean, I have a couple of Discord servers, things like that. And it's like, wow, if I had diagnostics about common trends in conversation, who's the biggest contributor? In those, and Discord does have some of these like add-ons that can show you how involved people are. But to me, there is an incredible wealth of problems to solve and usually data associated with online communities. And it seems like, you know, this community in particular was pretty open to, to that storytelling element and, and they, or, you know, appreciated the work that you're putting in. And that's a huge component of it as well. This episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors is brought to you by Z by HP. HP's high compute workstation grade line of products and solution. Z is specifically made for high performance data science solutions. And I personally use the ZBook Studio and the Z4 workstation. I really love that the Z line can come standard with Linux and they also can be configured with the data science software stack. With the software stack, you can get right into the work of doing data science on day one without the overhead of having to completely reconfigure your new machine. Now back to our show. And so I, I'm also curious, like as, a, as a student, how did you manage your time around you know, working on this project. I, I don't know if it was during school. I can't remember yeah. exactly when it was, but uh, very poorly like? <laughs> is the answer to that. Um, I think I had multiple times where I was like in class and I was like, oh shoot, 30 minutes, I need to do this. So I was like just pulling up Google Sheets on my browser and filling in the stuff. Um, that's like the other three were pretty helpful after like the first week or so. Like they were, they were doing it pretty good during the day. But there's also spots in time where like, his timer had broken. So I was like in class trying to figure out how much time should be left on the clock based on how many subs he gained, which was just ridiculous. Um, so it was like, it, it was pretty poorly managing my time for school, but. <laughs> well, that's a lesson you can learn now, but also as you get older, I think one thing I've learned, I probably have 15 or so years on you, um, that no one's ever good at managing their time. You get like you slowly improve, but no one, no one ever makes it. It's a a, a journey, not a destination. What was the final tally? What was like the final findings of your information or or viewership of your your graphs or whatever it might be? Yeah, so I think you made around like four YouTube videos on it, uh, maybe five, um, all with like around a million views each, which was pretty crazy. Um, and then all the like live Twitch viewers as well. Um, he made like, cause of taxes and like Twitch takes some of the money too. He, so 1.4 million was spent by people giving him like subs. So that's like 250, some odd, 270, some odd thousand subs. Um, then after like what Twitch takes, it's like 35, 40% of it. He gets like 900,000. Um, he paid his moderators for the stream, like 10 K each. He paid, uh, one of his friends who took over the stream for a few days while he had to leave, uh, like 10 K. And then he donated like a ton of it. Like for the last like six hours of the stream, he decided he wanted to beat like the previous like sub record for uh, most subscriptions at a time. Uh, and he did do it, but like for each sub that was given to him during that time, he would donate $5 to charity. So he was losing on all of those subs that he was given because of the Twitch cut. Um, and he gifted like 
did like 360,000 to charity from that whole stream. And he also matched like a dollar per sub from anything before there. So he walked away with like 200,000 ish, maybe more, maybe less. Not bad for a yeah. month of a month of work, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, that, that to me is, is pretty unbelievable, but something that I've learned is that you, you do things others won't to be able to do things that others can't. And so I guess he's willing to go to pretty extreme lengths, obviously not a hundred percent by his own will because he, <laughs> he didn't imagine it going that far, but it's a pretty, pretty impressive thing. And it's so cool that you were able to, able to play such a large role in that experience. Yeah. Awesome. Is, and so, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, one thing I'm very interested in is, you know, obviously the the subathon has has finished. What is next for you? What other projects are you working on? You know, are you Twitch streaming yourself? Like, what are you know, what are some of your your personal goals? You kind of have a lot of positive, a lot of a lot of road ahead of you, and you know, I would expect a pretty bright future here. Yeah. So. I streamed a little bit on Twitch right after the subathon for like a good amount of time. Um, I'm on and off on there now. Um, but I would just do like projects that were Twitch related at first to try to like keep the audience that I had from Ludwig's stream. Um, and the first one that I did was um, making a kind of bot, I guess, that would look at like top five Twitch streams or so from an approved list of streamers. Um, and it would get their face, it would recognize their face and then would check for, um, their emotion. So then figure out their emotion with sentiment analysis on that. Um, and then it would put that up on a separate Twitch stream to stream live. Um, and this bot would do OBS on its own. It would do pulling up the Twitch streams on, on its own, all that stuff. And, uh, I ran that for like about a week after I finished that. Um, I don't have enough like processing power to do that all the time. Um, but it was, I think it was really, like really cool. And um, like, if you want to dive into computer vision, trying to like get five separate Twitch streams all with facial recognition and uh, getting like the right person to the right face. Um, that's a, it's a really insane project that you can do. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it. I mean, that that to me sounds like an overwhelmingly large project. How, how did yeah. you break that down? How did you actually implement that? Like, what were the steps that you took? Yeah, so it started off like with uh, Tyler One. He's a League of Legends streamer on Twitch. He He's famous for getting very mad at the game. Um, so it was originally just going to be detecting when he was mad. And... Um, like basically saying a chat message, like he's like 99% angry or whatever. Um, but then I was like, this is boring for one person because he's like live maybe six hours a day. And like, I couldn't ever test it. So then I got it on Ludwig stream and then realized I could try to run both at once, which was like really hard to do getting like multiple Twitch streams. Cause then I would have to get um, like facial recognition for who's who. Um, but then once you do that, you have bounding boxes for all the faces, and then you can run. It's not that hard to expand, um, streams after you figure out how to run two at once. So 
I started running multiple and I was just kind of outputting the thing in Python. Um, then I was like, I could probably stream this as a separate thing. So I like streamed like a very like stupid, like little Python output box. And then I decided I kind of wanted a better like layout for it. So I manually was like doing the layout myself with just the text being uh, updated through Python. Uh, and then I got bored of that. So I made Python do the OBS, which is just like a lot of small little problems that, um, that you can figure out how to do not super hard uh, when you like break it down across everything. So it's mostly. And it seems like you, the process of what you were building, it evolved a little bit as you went. Yeah. It wasn't like, Hey, I'm going to do this whole big thing. I really like that is you're starting with a base case and you're iterating on it as you go. To me, that's something that, at least from my experience, a lot of people don't think like that, right? They think, oh, I have to build this big and crazy thing. And it seemed to me like you just wanted to do something more basic for one creator. And then you realize that, oh, if I can do this once, I can replicate it, I can grow it, I can scale it. Um, is that generally how you thought about that problem? Yeah, I yeah, it didn't even like seem like a problem to me at the time, it was just, I'm going to do this. And then I was like slowly um, adding more and more things to it until it just became a massive um, program. But yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, how do you, uh, how do you come up with those additional projects? You know, is it again, just seeing these problems or is it like, do you have a list of them somewhere that you're keeping or is this kind of going as you go? You're talking with your friends like, that would be cool. And you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to build that. Yeah. Um, for the facial recognition on like Twitch, um, one of my friends was doing like a coding class at my school that, for Python. He was like, he wanted to try out facial recognition for something. And I was like, that would be cool. I should do facial recognition on something like Twitch related. Since this was like right after the subathon, maybe like a month after, and I was like, I need to stream something and I need them to be like interested in it. And I was like, so do facial recognition on Twitch. What can I do with that? I was originally, I think it was actually originally going to be like sound based actually. And then it became face based. It was like, it was multiple things that were going into it. And I came up with just the faces because I saw whatever library had that already. So I was like, oh, easy. I can plug it into there and get the, stuff out of it but i think most of the stuff that i do is all just um i don't know it's kind of it's the thing that i can do <laughs> um well, i i think um you know the answer is you just do your friend's homework and then you have yeah. all these projects right <laughs> so i i am curious um if you know off the top of your head but like, you know, what types of modules or what modules were using for some of those projects that you found particularly interesting? I think yeah. that for people who are looking to experiment with those types of things, just being familiar with what's out there is really cool. I also find that, you know, I, I'm stuck in this circuit of, you know, I'm doing normal tabular data type stuff. For a lot of people starting with deep learning or starting with facial recognition or starting with some of these problems, they're just so much more tangible than looking at a Excel spreadsheet type formatted yeah. data. Um, so I, I'd love to hear more about, you know, hey, some, what are some of the modules? What are some of the things that <clears throat> you think are cool 
and you think other people might be interested in experimenting with? Yeah. So for a lot of them, it was a face recognition mod module. It's literally just called face recognition CV2. Um, fur was a great one. That was the, I believe, just the emotion from an image um, or text. Vader's the text one, uh, which is really good as well. Um, TensorFlow stuff. It's honestly not that much. Selenium for a lot of the like watching Twitch streams on its own. That was really big and helpful. Um, what else did I have? I had, yeah, that's pretty much it from most of them. Um, don't believe I had too many others. Let me just see if I have. Yeah, it's but pretty much just CV2. I think it's pretty awesome. You, know, you can do so much with pretty limited number of packages. I mean, people have done some pretty impressive work with those types of things. And I mean, the amount that you can build, it's about uh, applying a pre-existing thing to your use case or whatever it might be. You know, you could apply, I'm sure that same uh, Twitch methodology just to like scrolling through a bunch of YouTube thumbnails and identifying people or, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. There's there's a ton of different options associated with that. There's a ton of opportunity there. Um, this might be jumping around a little bit, but I, I am of the belief that in esports, there is so many opportunities for data for, for technology to improve the fan experience. I think that esports is arguably as popular, if not more popular than most of the main sports that we watch in the US, if you're talking about a global audience and the viewership at these different events. But I still think that esports is frankly pretty far behind in terms of the uh, the coverage of the events and how analytics are used to tell stories about the events. <clears throat> um, how do you see data or technology or some of the stuff that you've been working on um, changing in esports, or where do you think that esports could really improve in that domain? Yeah, so a lot of the things that's it's really annoying for like League of Legends um, esports wise. They have their own software on their own servers that um, nobody else can get to, and they like don't spit out any of the information to like normal people. Um, so a lot of what I did was just recreating what they had. Um, the reason I had to use like OCR for the stuff was because I had to read the screen where they just have an API for it that they can use on their servers um, that they play the games on. But um, I think it's, it's definitely like getting really crazy fast. Um, I've seen uh, like in the last year, even like the scoreboard for it has changed like an insane amount. Um, the ways that like different things are displayed, like the map, like I, for vision on League of Legends is vision that you can see. Um, like there's now like an overlay of who can see what. Um, and that was that was really cool. Um, it just it's a crazy amount of stuff that has just been evolving over the time that I've been watching it. That's good. They they better be evolving. I mean, to me, there's so much metadata that you can get from game interactions that you literally don't have to collect because well, I mean, you probably have to like toggle a toggle something or like or comment out some code and be able to collect it. Um, that isn't available in a lot of the sports data that I see. Right? If I if I want to see what the RPMs are on a fastball. Like someone needs to track it. Someone needs to build that in. 
it's not pre-existing within the game yeah. infrastructure already, which to me is is mind-boggling. Yeah. Awesome. Well, honestly, those are those are all the questions that I had. I mean, to me, this is really fascinating, especially covering your process of how you go about learning things, how you go about planning these projects, and how you go about breaking down these um, these pretty complex big things into smaller components that are very manageable for you. My final thought or my final question is, you know, do you have any parting advice for someone who, you know, might be in high school or might even be be older than you that really wants to tackle some of these problems or or to get involved with um, with data or or engineering in a creative way like you have? Yeah, um, just literally break it down into smaller things. Um, like if you're trying to do um, something bigger, just get like a small little portion of it working. It's just a lot of projects are literally just small little modules that you have in there that are spitting out different bits of data and just go one by one. Um, just stack overflow, best website out there to just look at something. Um, yeah, just slowly don't get like modules, like just use them. Don't, you don't need to like super read into them. Um, as long as you know what's coming out of it and what you need to put into it to get that out. Um, and it works. Like, I don't see a problem with not knowing what's in the back end of that. Um, yeah. Incredible. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, I'm really excited to share this podcast with, uh, with everyone, especially people needing a little bit more motivation incentive to, to focus on their personal projects. And I'm also really excited to, you know, hear hear where your story continues to go i mean you have college you have a lot of these uh subsequent steps and i think you've set yourself up really well to to be able to tell some awesome stories and to be able to like you know really do whatever you want especially with a foundation and projects like these thank you so much for tuning into this episode of ken's nearest neighbors we really hope that you enjoyed the show We'd greatly appreciate it if you gave us a rating and gave us a follow. This helps us to continue to bring in incredible guests. Thank you again for watching and until next time.